This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Cat One Academy coach Graham Mills. Also a lecturer at Southampton Solent University, Graham discusses his creation of FIFA-style IDP profiles, the use of academic work in a practical setting, as well as the challenges faced when trying to create a positive learning environment. This podcast was also recorded over the internet, so it may sound a little different to normal. I hope you enjoy. Perfect. So, Graham, first of all, thank you for kind of spending your Monday afternoon talking to me. I guess the first thing is, how um, how is everything? What's it like being back on the grass and kind of back to some sense of normal? Yes. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's been an interesting period. Obviously, six months without really doing any coaching is probably the longest um, since I was about eighteen that I've not coached for that length of time. So. Uh, I think there was a real sort of enthusiasm with the virtual program and doing things online because it was a little bit different and the, the kids, to their credit, really bought into that. But I don't think anything really replaces um, being on the grass and working with the players. Um, so I've missed it massively. So we've been back now for three weeks and uh, yeah, probably just, uh, I don't know whether I, I'm more enthusiastic than the players at times. Sometimes you've got to rein yourself in, but yeah, not coached in six months. It's, it's brilliant to be back out on the grass and, and doing what you love. Uh, I guess, kind of alluding to that point, did you, did you have any challenges within that six months in terms of not coaching, in terms of how that affected you or things you were able to reflect on? Yeah, I think it's, uh, first and foremost, it's tough to deliver sessions remotely. Um, think that you have to be very creative with your, your session planning because there's so many variables um, and each player's circumstances are very different. So some, some players have got a local park, some, some have got a back garden, some uh, have got an apartment so they don't really have a lot of space. So trying to be resourceful and creative with that was, was a real challenge. Um, but to their credit, the boys did, did fantastically well with that. I think probably the longer it went on, the more um, sort of frustrated that I felt as a coach not being able to go and coach players and have interaction with players, talking over a laptop or a computer screen, you don't get that sort of feel and that engagement that you would do on the grass. So, yeah, I think initially it was it was a challenge delivering in a different way, um, but there's lots of positives that come from it as well. Uh, but yeah, the, certainly the longer it went on, the more I missed the, the, the social side of coaching, which that you can replace really and is there anything that the kids either picked up or improved on that either surprised you or you thought actually that's something we could move forward with going further into the future yeah probably initially we started off with a lot of technical ball mastery type practices which they you know the boys are very familiar with um but i think to, to maintain engagement the longer it went on, we started to really give them the opportunity to, to deliver and lead and come up with practices that they could then coach their, their peers with. Um, and some of the stuff they come up with was really good, um, really sort of innovative with the restrictions that they had. So I think that's something that definitely 
probably we need to do a little bit more of, even when we're back on the grass and giving ownership to the players and being being comfortable with that. I think they what they came up with was was really, really good. Some of the boys have got development plans and targets that they're working on and some of those couldn't be achieved in the space that they had. Um, but others others really focused in and honed in on that stuff and they were uploading stuff to Hive and logging things and sending us some video footage and then some of the creativity that they demonstrated was, was really, really good. So I think probably just opening up a bit more freedom for them to do that. Um, not just maybe half an hour a week, but finding ways within the program where we can really sort of tap into that creativity they demonstrated that would be something I'd like to keep. Yeah, sure. Like what what type of sessions were they coming up with? So they um they they were asked to do a player led session for example. So we would put in a WhatsApp group um, two players' names. So one would do an attacking practice, one would do a defending practice. Um, and they would send back a video so they they'd video themselves doing the practice, demonstrating it, they'd, they'd be talking over it and there were some sort of annotations in there. It was like a really nicely put together video. And then obviously on the, the actual live session, they were almost coaching the players through it, giving points for effort or quality. Um, they, they put together little session plans that they shared their screen with. You know, it's, us learning it was difficult enough, but you, you look at them and their age and, and where they're at in terms of technology, technology and stuff. It was really impressive to see what they were coming up with. And did that um, throw up any surprises of, of players that maybe you thought weren't in such leadership roles in inverted commas to actually when they engage with their peers in that sort of setting had a real positive impact? Yeah, yeah. I think we probably in sport we've got a very traditional view of leadership and what leadership looks like. Often we're attracted to confidence and the assertive leader um, but this really gave an opportunity for the boys to lead in different ways so we've got perhaps more introverted players within the group um, who were, were putting together some, some really nice stuff and sharing it with their peers and, uh, and maybe because they're not in front of them sort of physically but behind a laptop screen and can watch them online it suited them better um, and some of their observations like picking who got what points and why and justifying that and giving their reasons for it. You know, the analytical side was they could demonstrate that. So yeah, I think I think in terms of leadership it, it gave opportunities for others to step forward and lead in a way that felt comfortable to them, which was interesting. And I guess the challenge for you moving forward is how do you incorporate that into a again very common normal academy programme. Um, have you yeah. any ways that you could potentially do that? Yeah, we've we, we've discussed it and um, try, trying to put some of that stuff into their development plan. So, can they explain what leadership is to them? Uh, what does it look like? Who is an example of a good leader? Um, trying trying to explain that, and it doesn't have to be the the vocal, the, the shouter on the pitch that's the leader. It could be the one that leads by example or or ideas to the values of the academy or demonstrates those in their behaviours. It could be many different ways to lead so we're, we're trying to embed that stuff into their development plans now i'm glad you came on to development plans so obviously one of the things i know you did a lot of work on over um 
over lockdown and whatnot, and I guess before it, by the in-depth nature of it, it's kind of IDPs in terms of players' individual development plans. I know um, from your social media accounts, a lot of that was based around kind of FIFA-style work and kind of going off the back of that. Do you just want to explain to everyone kind of exactly what you did and then, I guess, the format of it and then how you've been able to transfer it across to other sports as well, which I've seen you've been doing that recently? Yeah, I I probably, I was working at AFC Bournemouth um, five years ago now and um, I was having this sort of internal struggle with development plans. I found that it was a very coach-led um, sort of transactional process. So every six weeks, the EEEP and the youth development phase, you have to have a review. Um, and we were almost sitting down with the players and the parents and saying, almost ticking boxes and saying this is where you are this is what we see this, these are the things we need you to do over the next six weeks 12 weeks whatever it might be um, and often the player only really looked at the ticks and where they were good and sort of read into the grade and then that piece of paper or that document might then go in the drawer and not really be reflected on and you could ask a player during a session what are your targets or what's, what's your goals for this period and some of them didn't know, so it clearly wasn't the process that was, was working. Um, so that sort of coincided with a, a study visit that I went to PSV, and they, they talked about how they turned it, the process around, and it became about the player leading this journey. It was about them putting together a presentation and presenting back to the staff and almost attributing accountability to them and saying, I need you to support me on this. So it became this sort of living, breathing document. So I tried to take bits and pieces of that and tried to wrap it up in a, in a process or a platform that was engaging to players. So that's where the FIFA um, sort of element comes in because obviously you know, most players and most young kids are playing FIFA in the terminology and they understand that the journey there is not ours. Um, and I could do it in a way that engaged them. That, that might be some way towards addressing sort of the, the conflict that I had around the development plans. So I took feedback from players, parents and staff over a five year period and then we got to where I am now with it and what it looks like and what I've shared on social media. I, I think it's really interesting because I think particularly with, with those types of reviews and stuff, it's very formalised at points and you feel like you sit in front of a kid almost like a teacher role. And I like the fact you said you almost flipped it on your head and you've allowed the player to kind of explore kind of what, what they want to explore and go, go that way with it. When you were putting it together, were there any particular challenges in terms of, obviously you still need coach input, it can't be all the player, but you want a certain level of autonomy. So how did you manage that, I guess, that balance between it being helpful for having coach support, but also being player-led? Yeah, sure, but the development plan is essentially a PowerPoint, so they can take slides out of that, they can add slides in, so they can really customise it and make it what they want it to be. Um, in terms of the coach being involved in that process as well, the, the PowerPoint is very much a framework, so it sort of guides them through certain questions or certain things that we want them to consider. Um, so like I guess what? there's a... So there, there's questions in there about... You know, the 
for, for older players, I've used questions around contingency planning and secondary planning. So, you know, if you get to 16 and uh, 31st of December, you're informed that you're not going to be retained. Um, rather than that come as a real big shock in a, in a massive year where they're doing GCSEs and stuff. If at 13s, 14s, we've introduced the concept of contingency planning and what next and, and what are my options, how do I need to upskill myself to make sure I'm ready for that and so on. Um, then hopefully they've, they, they've got an understanding of um, things that they may need to do and not wait until the last minute and then sort of panic or, or, or worry be overly worried about it but know that it is their journey and they if they put in place the right things whether it be small objectives or goals hopefully they can future-proof themselves for any any setbacks or things that come along um, so then there's certain questions in there around their biggest achievement today their, their biggest setback um, their aspirations their motivations um, their various number of questions around education and other disciplines or support departments in the academy um, so there is a there is a framework there uh, and then obviously when they present this back they're, they're often filmed presenting it to us so they'll get their presentation up and they'll talk us through it and that's where the coach might sort of prompt or ask some questions so if they feel that that goal is perhaps not relevant to uh, the position that they play in or the characteristics that the club are looking for for that particular player or position, then there might be some questions around, well, is that necessarily the right thing? What, how can you justify that? And we might try and try and guide them or support them towards something that may be a bit more relevant. Um, so yeah, there, there's, there is definitely a, some, some coaching in the process, um, but perhaps not as much, or certainly not as much as when we used to just give them a bit of paper and say, this is what you've done well, this is what you've done well make sure you work on this so now you know it is a it is a two-way process largely led by the player but supported by the coach uh, i guess this kind of links back to what we said before about them during lockdown making ownership and creating sessions and stuff how has that process been from in terms of actually being able to go away and practice at home or clip stuff at home and whatnot how have you found the buy-in with that yeah, I think there's um, generally across across the age groups that that's been really positive. I think they do really buy into their individual um, sessions and planning of those sessions. Um, something that I've done is that they get individual training time in the week. So sitting them down, giving them a sort of session plan, asking them to plan a session uh, with their peers. So they might have someone who's working in opposition to them, uh, topic or targets opposite or they might complement each other and they'll plan a session and then go and put it together on the pitch and then obviously the coaches will observe and feedback or challenge where necessary but those session plans then get handed into the coaches and then we will draw them up on an electronic sort of drill diagram and then that gets put into a book so at the end of the season they've got a, a booklet of all the sessions that all them and their peers have done over the course of the season it's almost like a manual if you like so if over lockdown they wanted to go and work on something that wasn't necessarily a target they've been working on but it's something that they've got you know probably the least structured period of their development if they've been in the academy since eights or nines and you know they would be in 13 that might have been the longest period they've not had structured coaching so having this booklet where they can say oh i fancy doing that and 
where they're being demanded, they might take that. They might not necessarily replicate it like for like, but they might take bits of it and plan their own practice. I definitely think um, you know, they're very skilled at, at planning their practices. We don't want them to be coaches, but if they can understand sort of the why or the rationale behind what they're doing, I think they can be far more informed um, players and intelligent players, and that's what we're all striving to, to produce. So I think the individual stuff has been really key and, and it's been highlighted during the lockdown period, which again is, is a positive that's, that's come out of this. I like the idea of that encyclopedia that they can obviously go to and stuff. And I imagine, you know, if you keep adding to that year on year, it's going to be pretty in-depth, although you'll get some that will be crossover, you'll get probably some quite good ideas that come out of it. So I think that's a... yeah. So real positive and I guess I think is what you said there although we don't want them to be coaches if you, if you were well, fired a pound for every time you hear a coach say if I knew this when I was playing I would have been a much better player we're kind of enabling them to do that now to a certain degree yeah yeah definitely I think the the, the booklet is, is is a way of them here coaching each other so maybe not directly they're not stood with them telling them what to do but they can look at this is a practice that so-and-so has produced. I really like it. I'm going to go and take it and maybe that's it or tweak it or write it the same. So you get that little bit of um, ear coaching as well. And I definitely would agree with that comment about you know, uh, sort of if I knew now what I knew um, when I was playing, for example, I think one of the biggest things that probably improved me as a player was doing my level two when I was about 18. Because... Like most people, I go. I guess I just played, played because I enjoyed playing and loved playing, and didn't really think about too much other than that. And then coaching really opened my eyes up to to, to the why and why I did stuff and how I could improve. So I definitely think if we can start to embed some of that stuff in at a younger age, we don't want them to to be overloaded with information, and some of it can wait until they're a lot older. But general principles around um, you know how to how to plan a session and get the aims out that you want. I think that can be quite healthy for players to understand that early, uh, and hopefully they also challenge us as coaches. So if they don't enjoy the practice or they think that it's not relevant or realistic or could have been better in some ways, you know, hopefully it gives them a little bit more insight so they can challenge and ask those questions. Because like I say, it's, it's a two-way street. It's not it's not us always telling them this is the way to do things. Hopefully they're empowered enough to, to sort of ask questions and, and um, challenge back as well. I guess it also allows them to ask a question why to a lot of stuff. So why is this practice being put on or why isn't this practice working, which is obviously a question coaches ask all the time. But then yeah. often the reason is because, you know, you haven't set it up right. There's not enough space to go beyond, which then everyone can just step up or it's not wide enough, which means you're not allowing width and depth and simple things like that. So I guess that um, the idea of, you know, allowing them to constantly ask the question why, it will really aid their development because then hopefully they can then get back to a game as to why is that centre forward doing this or why yeah. do I keep losing the ball in this area under this body shape or something like that. Yeah, I think most most academies in their, their vision or mission statement uh, will say that they want to produce creative, uh, problem-solving, innovative players. 
Um, and I think that a lot of that stems back to the why and them understanding and having clarity around the why. So, yeah, I think if we can encourage them to, to ask those questions and, and consider the why, I think hopefully then we'll, we'll, we'll produce those players that, that are creative and problem solve um, in action. Whereas probably when I was playing, it was very much you did what you was told and, and just followed the coach's instruction. And I think we're a long way away from that now, and, and for good reasons. Hopefully, that's coming across in the type of players that are now being produced. And then, where do you see this progressing? So, where do you see the progression from this moving forward? In terms of the development plan, or yeah, yeah. Um, I think probably the the progression that would come next is that, that they're starting to. Um, involve a little bit more analysis perhaps into, into this and embed in that. So rather than just saying I've done this over the last six weeks or 12 weeks, actually providing evidence and support to say this this is what I've done, this is how I've come on or this is how I've progressed over this period um, and really providing that, that evidence to support it. There, I think if, if there was one thing that would be really would be if they could almost create their own framework. So at the moment, there's still an element of a, a framework has been shaped for them and they follow that through. They can obviously deviate off that path and add bits in and bits how they like, but almost sitting them down and just giving them a blank piece of paper and say, what do you want? Support them in that process. Again, there's challenges to that. Because if you're working in an elite pathway, you know what the end product might look like and you know how you need to get through those developmental stages towards that. You know, if, you, if you give them sort of free reign, that, that might be a challenge. But yeah, I think, I think if, they could, if they could really lead that from the start to initiate that development plan, um, that, that would be probably the next level. And I guess one of the most one of the most important bits of this is that self-awareness because I, I mean I don't know I could be wrong but I doubt Messi and uh, Ronaldo have individual formalized development plans if you like but they probably did and do have a level of self-awareness as to why they've struggled or what they need to improve on on areas that they can you know, keep working on so they could make it super strengths. So I guess the, I, the purpose of this at the very bottom then is just to have a level of self-reflection, self-awareness. Uh, how important do you think that is for players going through a pathway? Yeah, I think that's that's the, a massive um, part of it, to, to be aware of what their strengths and weaknesses are, uh, and then being able to reflect on whether they've made improvements in those areas or whether further support is required, I think that's really important. And it doesn't necessarily have to be overly formal. Um, what it looks like for one individual can be very different from another. So for another, it might just be a, a conversation with the coach. Um, others, it might be this document that they follow through. Um, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't think it needs to be uniform. I, and I don't, we probably, the e there's so many benefits to the e but one thing is we don't need to, it's not a tick box exercise, this is a genuine living, breathing document that's there to try and help them 
get better, whatever that looks like for that individual, it's important that we try and cater to those different needs. Because ultimately, the development plan is only as good as the, the action that it um, stimulates. You can have the best looking development plan, Belgium's arrived, it looks fantastic, but if that just is, sits in a drawer or is wallpaper, it's, it's not really of any benefit. Whereas you might have a player who has a very sort of sketched out, rough idea of where they are and where they need to get to, but they put in loads of time into their practice, um, they're sort of watching their games back, they're identifying what they need to do. The behaviours and actions, the action plan that is a result of the development that's the key thing, uh, not necessarily the document itself. Yeah, and I'll be honest, that's something that I probably had a lot of, not sleepless nights, but partially sleepless nights, thinking about over lockdown, in terms of it made us change the way we did reviews. And I kind of looked at it and went, actually, for me, for some of the lads, it was far better. They enjoyed, because we were adding more videos and stuff into their reviews, and obviously we had more time to do it, but because we were adding all that aspects in, some lads that hadn't been too keen in terms of that formal one-to-one or with parent one-to-two situation were really forthcoming over calls. So then it had me thinking about how could we do it better. And there's a couple of players who they love being on the pitch and that's essentially what they want to do the entire time. And I kind of thought to a degree, are we wasting our times by having them sat in a classroom with me going through stuff? Or could we just show them on the pitch? Could we maybe show him on the pitch and then his targets might be something really simple. You write them on his football. And for him, because he always carries around a football, he loves being on the pitch. That's probably something that will ingrain more than me going through a document with him where he can't remember his review from last week and all that type of stuff. Um, So I don't know what your thoughts are around the creative side of it. Yeah, I think... I'm kind of leaning towards, I think. Yeah, I think... um, I, I think... Like, like I say, with, with the FIFA um, thing, that's basically to get the engagement. So if there's a different way or a better way to get that engagement, that if they're engaged in the process, they're going to probably find it beneficial and just adhere to it and stick to it. I th- the idea of writing them on a board is, is brilliant. I think um, probably a good example would be Stuart English at Birmingham told me about their foundation for me to use a scrapbook so the players get a scrapbook at the start of the season then they just put in clips, sorry, yeah, clippings from the local papers if their school played in there for example, it might be something from a, a match day programme, it could be a picture that they've seen that they like, it could be anything and they just they stick it in the scrapbook and that's their sort of portfolio of evidence of, of their development plan over the course of 12 weeks season whatever it might be so i think if we can be innovative around that stuff the the buy-in can be really powerful and that's really what's going to turn this process into to an action plan that's actually um, brought to life it's going to help them improve and then as, as i mentioned earlier obviously you've you've kind of gone across sport and been able to use it for different sports how's that transition been and how's kind of the feedback been in terms of other sports being able to use these documents? Yeah, I think probably the initial reaction that I got from a lot of people was that, similar to my experience of development plans, is that they were very um, transactional process rather than transformational, that 
they're there to try and improve the individual. Um, but often that wasn't really um, happening. So I found in a lot of sports, they, they have those same sort of conversations. So they, people from sort of basketball and hockey, um, probably the two biggest ones so far, um, contacted me and asked me if I could do something around their sport. And I think the feedback generally has been quite positive. Obviously, there's not an equivalent that I'm aware of of FIFA in hockey. So there's probably still a little bit of a crossover of FIFA, but the, the feedback has been, been quite positive. And a few hockey folks have contacted me around putting together something for them, um, which is nice because I'm quite a big believer in multi-sports and taking bits from different sports and different experiences. Um, so being able to have a chat with coaches from other sports, seeing what their development plans look like and how we can improve them has been quite rewarding for me personally. And then, I get, well, for you, I assume that working in the role that you do, particularly at Stanford University, you get quite a wide spectrum of academic to other sports, all that type of stuff. How have you found that's benefited you in terms of being, how we'll have an access to all these different people and all those different fields? Yeah, I think I've, so I went to Bath Uni when I finished there in 2006. Um, and then obviously started to work in, in football and coaching. Um, and I've always had an interest in sort of trying to keep up to date because football and sport is so fast moving. There's always stuff that's being introduced or, or things are changing. So I've always had a keen interest in keeping up to date with that. Um, so going, working at a university, which I've been there near getting on for two years now, um, I guess it's, it's a nice balance. I think when I got, when I was working full time in football, I was four for eight years. I think you just become very entrenched in what you do um, and how you do it and aligning that to the philosophy. So it becomes a very one way of doing things. Um, so coming out of that and going now working at a different club and working at a university, I think I've got a really nice balance because now I can talk about lots of different stuff that's going on in, in the university role and look at modern and up-to-date research and papers. And, but then I'm also learning a different way of coaching and a different way of doing things in a different environment. I don't think there really is one way of doing something. I think there's many different ways. And it all, uh, context is king. Now I've got a really nice balance of, of different roles and environments there, whereas probably eight years into a row, I probably knew the philosophy like the back of my hand. I knew the types of practices that we did. I knew what the pathway was like. Very much entrenched in that way of doing things. So yeah, I think it's it's been a nice change. Um, there's obviously it was nice working full time in football, um, but I think the balance that I've now got, I think there's there's lots of positives to that, and the people that I can now interact with and, and learn from. Um, I think it's been really rewarding so far. Uh, with the academic stuff. I guess one of the challenges has always been how you then relate that into practices or how you relate that into academy, like you've just said there. Is there anything that over your last, I guess, couple of years where you've had a dual role working in the academy and then working um, at Solent that you've been able to transfer across? Or is there any academic research you go, if we could find a place for that in football, I think it would really benefit us? 
That's a good question. Um, I think with a lot of research that I read, probably there's a lot of good stuff that I read. Um, but I think it's also taking what's uh, what's relevant to you because you can't just apply every bit of research that you find to, to your situation or your circumstance. I think it's trying to, I, I guess with the experience you develop a filter. Um, probably when I, I was younger and I, I saw a lot of our students at the university when, when lockdown first happened, there was lots and lots of webinars and they were going to loads every day. And I think because their level of applied experience was is lower at their age and their experience um, they weren't able to really filter out what was was relevant to them and what could be really impactful for them i think probably over experience i've managed to do that so there's lots of stuff that i read um, which i think oh, that, that's really good but probably doesn't fit for me or my club or, or where i'm at at the moment so it might just be that you know i just keep that to one side or bear it in mind um, you've got any examples of that yeah, so I think um, there's there's a lot of stuff around um, sort of you know gamification at the moment. It's, it's talked about a lot and the benefits of, of that. I think that there's some stuff that I, I like from it, and there's some stuff that perhaps I need to learn more of. Um, there's been potential. We do a small side of games like on a Friday night, for example, for the players where it's very much player led and that might be an opportunity to trial some of that stuff and see how it fits but obviously when you're working in a, an elite pathway there is a culture there's an identity there's a, there's, there's a process to the way players are developed and the more you introduce so if you bring gamification in that might be a, 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 a de detrimental effect to something else that's already in the program that's really valued so i think you're always trying to find the balance i think coaching for me in general i very rarely we're operating at the extremes. I think everything's on a continuum. I very rarely operate at the extremes of any continuum. I think I try and find the balance somewhere in the middle and what fits for me. Um, so if, if we were to bring something like gamification, just I think we need to be very clear on how that fits so we're not overloading the players and giving them too much to consider. If it complements something that's already in the program, then brilliant. But if it doesn't, then that conversation needs to take place as to how we can make it fit or, or if we can indeed make it fit. Um, in terms of examples of stuff that I've seen and tried to bring in, um, no, there's, there's, a, there's a few bits and pieces, but I don't, there's nothing that really sort of stands out at the moment. I think for the last year and a half, joining a, a, a club, really well-established club with a rich reputation of producing players. I think for me it was about understanding what they do, the culture and the ethos and how players come through the pathway. I think if I was coming in and, and offering ideas and suggestions, I think it, um, I probably don't know the environment well enough to be able to do that. There might be a couple of things I might suggest to, to my line manager as small things, but nothing big that I've read up on or researched to great, any great length. Uh, I think once I understand the environment, that might be something that I can help me going forward. But uh, at the moment, it's sort of just immersing myself into 
What's interesting me there is that you've obviously you've been in a role eighteen months or two years ish, I guess, with the club that you're mentioning, and you said that you're still learning the environment. I find that really interesting because a lot of people who go into a new club or a new role almost want to stamp their imprint on it, um, whereas you've kind of gone the other way and you're almost going. I'm going to take in as much as I possibly can and then add value where I feel is appropriate. Is there any reason why you've done it that way or does it suit your character or why have you gone about it in that sense? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both really. I think uh, there is there is ego in coaching. Um, but, you know, I, I try to, um, I, uh, hopefully things that I do isn't driven by ego. Um, it's hopefully there because I care about the players and their development and want to support that. So I think if I was coming into an environment and I, I behaved or acted as though I knew the answer to things or how I could improve things, um, I don't think I don't think it would would help me. I think if I'm going to improve the environment, which is a fantastic environment already, if I'm going to try and help uh, offer any suggestions or ways to improve it, I think first and foremost I've got to understand that environment and the culture that's already in place there. Um, once I've done that, then then I can start to offer some some ideas. But I, you do see it like you're absolutely spot on. I think that you do see a lot in, in football that people want to come in and stamp their sort of identity or their personality on things. And I think for me, it probably works the other way. I think I can only be 100% effective um, and efficient in the work that I do if I if I really get to feel and know what that environment's about. Um, so yeah, it probably probably comes into my personality a little bit in terms of going back to that leadership piece. I think my leadership style is probably more sort of um, economy supportive. So I, I I don't I'm not the traditional leader and want to, to be seen as the person who's got all the ideas and you follow me. I think it's about creating relationships and, and hopefully through the strength of those relationships you can support each other and work collaboratively. So it probably does come down a bit of personality, but also I just think that's the right way to do it. The club that I'm at is well regarded um, for the work that they do. So who am I to come in to, to, to try and challenge anything? And I think what you've alluded to there regarding relationships and stuff, obviously well known, being in an environment where you respect and trust the people around you kind of allows you to take risks uh, as a coach or try things as a coach which I'm sure um, you know you're, you're a creative type in terms of coach so you kind of have to be to a certain degree um, something I wanted to kind of rewind back to a little bit was you mentioned it's probably the longest you haven't coached since you're about 18 years of age um, and I know obviously working at the university you do you're kind of working with students now some of which are almost starting out at 18 to say I want to be a coach so whereas years gone by it was maybe failed as a player um, became a coach or retired as a player became a coach um, we're getting to the stage now where I think we're actually seeing some of the younger generation who want to be coaches um, and kind of their whole upbringing is I want to go into that side of the game and be creative I guess my first question is was that the case with you when you were 18 or were you playing alongside it and then two what are your 
experiences of you know having those younger adults younger younger people who are looking to make a career out of the game how have you found that yeah I, and i went to, to barfi as i said i played football to, to non-league standards conference south was the, the highest i played never a professional ever in an academy um, but loved playing football and then obviously i went to bath and was surrounded by some some people that really grasped my um passion for the game and, and made me see it from a different way so coaching became something that I really wanted to get involved in so at the time sort of Paul Tizel was there as, as the head coach um, Andy Tilston Chris Casper Jamie Shaw Ivor Powell was there he was a massive inspiration if you know know him and his, his coaching background um, so that sort of turned me on to coaching I did my level two with Guy Whittingham who did come in and did the PFA with us and then as luck would, would happen there was an opportunity to go and coach in america over the summer um so i went out there and coached boys and girls of all different ages some club community and that two month intense period of coaching and traveling around um, was was brilliant and off the back of that i came back and i knew that coaching was what i wanted to do um so Probably from, from, from that sort of age, 18, 19, I realised that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and then from there, I assumed when I left university, I would go into a sports job or a coaching job and it would be, I've got a degree now. But that wasn't the case. It's such a competitive market. There's so many people applying for stuff that I actually went and worked in, in an office in finance and mortgage underwriting. Um, but again, there was loads of positives to that which you now need if you're working in an intricate environment you need to be able to to do all the admin and the the it stuff that now as part of a modern coach in an academy environment you need to be able to do but then the opportunity of Bournemouth came up and i worked in a college for five years directing the academy program there um and that sort of really set me up and over that period of working in an office I was also coaching part-time, going to schools, coaching um, men, women, able-bodied, disabled groups, um, boys, girls, you name it, I was coaching it. And that's what really gave me the education as a coach. I, I failed lots. I made so many mistakes, probably part of some terrible sessions. Um, but with all of that came, I improved. I started to understand coaching far better than I would have done if I'd have come straight out of university and gone into a one environment. So having those opportunities to, to try things, um, to fail, and maybe take some successes when they came along was really, really important. And that's probably what I try and emphasize to students now at the university. I think they're very, very skilled at the, the plan and the review bit. I think they're very good at planning sessions. And I think because everything's online now, you know, on Twitter, you've got lots of analytical sites and stuff you can really review and reflect on things and, and stuff but i think it's to do then they need to be out there gaining experience applied experience failing creating relationships because ultimately the longer i've been in coaching that's what it comes down to it's the psychosocial stuff i used to think it was all about having all the answers technical and tactical and i thought if i knew everything then i i had the power as a coach to to influence and lead players because um, they look at me as a bit of a guru or oh, he knows what he's talking about. But actually, whilst
course, you do need that stuff. You're only as good as the relationships you form and the rapport and actually showing the players you care. I think that's so important. So, yeah, the students at the moment that I work with, I'm just encouraging them to go and go and coach, get your boots on, get on the grass and work with players, regardless of, I know a lot of people want to get to the top very quickly, but go and coach soccer tops, go and coach, you know, whatever it is, go and coach it because I guarantee you'll learn stuff from it. Those experiences will make you a better coach, will shape you. So I'm really thankful that I had that experience. I think I wouldn't be the coach I am today if I if I'd have got that job straight out of university because I wouldn't have had the freedom to to, to fail and, and work things out. I, I I mean I had this conversation with Ollie in one of the previous episodes. I'm 100% with you on this. Um, we both said actually most of our learning initially came in like a school community environment. Um, and like you said, they're putting on sessions where, you know, that aren't very good and you go, going, I need to improve that. Or, you know, having a massive class, some that like the game, some that don't, how are you going to engage with them and all that type of stuff. It, it then makes the academy setting seem so easy because you've got, you know, a group of kids there that are pretty good players of a relatively same standard that are all relatively motivated and want to be there. You know, when you go in yeah. front of that group in the morning to that group in the evening, you're like, oh, this is lovely. All I need to do is plan my session and get on well with the kids and I'm fine. Um, I, I guess the, the big thing for me is with those groups, how do you see the progression? Because I imagine there's only so many schools or so many sessions around an area for them to go in. Do you see a real upskill for those that maybe spend three years going doing that, just volunteering and stuff places compared to those who maybe just do it more theoretical? Yeah. So on, on a class, we may have sort of 100 students in, in a class, um, sort of a lecture, and then from that, they'll be broken down into seminar groups. But in that 100, there's probably about 60% of those that want to coach, and then the rest uh, want to get into talent idea recruitment or analysis or a different field within football um, but the ones that want to coach I definitely think there's there's a difference you can see the ones that have been out there and gaining experience and the ones that maybe just rely on the, the theory because when it comes to the practical assessments that are involved in the course um, you can see the ones that have turned up to uh, school and had I've been told that there's 12 players and 23 turn up and they've been told that they've got a sports hall but there's an exam going on that day so they've got to go out to the hard court and use that and they've got any space that they're able to adapt and their observation skills uh, and ability to think on their feet so they've got a really good plan but obviously things deviate from the plan when the ball starts rolling so you can really see those students that have gained a little bit of insight into that gain the experience to be able to say well, this is what I might need to do when this occurs whereas the ones that are really just coach purely from sort of theory or, or watching things and YouTube or Twitter or TV um, they probably don't have that ability to adapt um, quite so well but they have, they have beautiful session plans and real thought out detailed processes but you know it's probably not a linear process coaching is probably things happen and 
the ones that have got that experience can adapt far better, I think, from, from my observation. So, and then when, when you're talking about, um, you know, I guess they're going to have assessments in a variety of different areas, are those like road bumps something that you build into the assessments or is it just something that naturally happens in the chaotic world we live in where an area might be double booked or that, that type of stuff? Yeah, we try to, we try to make uh, it as realistic to what the industry and what, it, what real life is like. Um, so again, I used to be involved in uh, recruiting interns in my previous role and you would do things on the recruitment process to make it difficult for them so that might be telling them it's this number involved in the session and actually slightly different by the time there might be certain things that they needed to, we, we wanted to see what they were like um thinking on their feet a little bit um so we've, we've tried to build that into the the university program as well so there are certain challenges there to try and if they're not able to get the experience because like you say there's only so many clubs and schools in the, in the environment they can go to some whether they don't have a particular interest in doing it or they've got a part-time job outside the sport they can't do it not everyone's got access to it so we try and build it into the program so if they're not getting it extracurricular then hopefully we can provide those those challenges or those bumps in the road like you said uh, through the delivery of the program um, and it's all we're all there to learn we're all there to improve so We've tried to build quite a psychologically safe environment where they can feed back to each other. They can say, you did this really well, but I suggest this. And 360 degree feedback sessions with the students. So we can all be honest and open because we're all there to learn and improve. Um, so if you have had a difficult day where it's been a setback and you've not responded as well as you would like to, you can get feedback from your peers and from the tutors to help you. So when that opportunity in the real world does come up you might have a few tools in, in your locker to be able to, to address that have you got any examples of like, sessions or learnings or whatever that you've been able to take from your students because i imagine they'll have a different viewpoint to you and um, i imagine it would have chapped up some interesting stuff yeah i think so i'm i i never lectured before prior to so I went to university, I, co I worked in a college, so you know, I had a PGCE and I could teach, um, but I'd never lectured and the idea of standing in front of 100 students was, was really daunting. Um, so I think things around my delivery I've, I've had to try and work on and improve, uh, but probably the biggest thing so far is it's a very multicultural course. There's students from all around the world that come for this Football studies is quite a rare course um, and because there's a lot of success in getting students into jobs in football it's a very sought after course to be involved in so we get students from all around the world so I, I've really learned about the importance of language and clarity of the way that you communicate is really really important so I could be delivering a practical session at Test Park and my assumption is that everyone we all use the same terminology and we understand what that means. Obviously there's students from, from all around the world there and I need to make sure that what I'm saying is, is clear for all of them. So again it probably goes back to that learning how to differentiate when you, you're going into schools and stuff as a young coach and you've got mixed abilities. So some players are, are at academies and some 
never kicked a ball before, might be a bit of fun. Parents get home from work, so it's just an after school club that they go along to, and that's really interesting. How do you plan a session and get that range of diversity engaged in the practice? It's really, really tough. So now, working in a university, I've got students that are interested in, they're not necessarily interested in coaching, they're interested in talent ID and recruitment, but they've still got to do the practical element of the courses coach. They might be coming from a different social, cultural background, different language. So I've got all these different things going on and probably the biggest thing is, is the language and the communication that I've found so far. Uh, and getting that really clear and spot on is something that I need to continue to work on. It's not perfect, but it's something that I've become more aware of. When you're working with it in an academy, the range of difference is very small. So from the top player in the group to the bottom player in the group, probably the difference is not that big. Um, but in that environment, the range is very big. You've got some people that have done their B license and are trying to get into their A license. You've got some that have never done a coaching badge. So all these different things, I found probably the thing that I need to improve the most will be more conscious of is, is my language and the way that I communicate. So how do you plan for that in a set in a session plan? Because it's quite, I imagine, quite challenging trying to think about exactly how you're going to phrase stuff or whatnot. How do you plan for that? Yeah, it's it's tough. I think what I've what I've tried to do is, from what I've observed of a lot of coaching recently, there there seems to be to and be last. There was more of an emphasis on demonstration and, and showing people. I think we don't necessarily do that as much now. I don't know the reasons for that. But I, I try to, to step in and demonstrate um, as much as possible um, and try and show them to support my language. So if I'm using stuff that's very, I guess, FA-centric because they're, they're in England and it's sort of aligned to what the level two looks like, if they're coming from, we've got students from like Colombia and Mexico and different parts of the world, if that might not be the terminology that I'm using, um, it might be that I support whatever I'm saying with, with some physical demonstration to, sh to show them as well. So I guess it's just trying to give them a flavour of different modes of learning. Again, using tactics boards, showing them. I guess that's probably the way that I plan it, um, just to try and involve as many different ways of learning and different styles of learning as possible. Now, they might not have a certain preference in this, there's some research around that's actually debunked in terms of preferred learning styles. But I think if my communication isn't perfect, I can support it by, by demonstrations and visual aids and other things. Yeah, it, like I say, it's, it's something that I'm trying to improve on and working on. So if you've got any, uh, any solutions or anything that you've learned along the, along the way, then please feel free to... Yeah, I'll have a think. I think the, the furthest I've had, similar to you, I went out and worked in the States for a summer and um, I, I went LA across to Texas and back again. We had obviously some Mexican kids and whatnot, um, which was brilliant and interesting because we were doing quizzes and we'd say, what's the uh, national language of England? And they didn't know it was English. <laughs> so I was like that's where for me it was a real big cultural thing of going actually those different cultures they have no idea what it's like um, and I imagine you'd have the same on your course you'd probably be explain, explaining principles or ideas of play or trying to rationale it but I imagine if you've got people coming from all these different backgrounds they might just see the game differently they might just see 
tactics differently or they might have importance in different factors is that something you find a lot as well yeah definitely i think i think depending on where you've come from your your learning is going to be shaped by that, that environment you've come from but it's great for me as well because I'm also able to learn from them. So there may be some, some, some coaches from Spain, for example, so young, relatively inexperienced in terms of delivery, but they've come through a pathway in Spain and now they'll say, well, we don't refer to it as that, we call it this, and then they might tell us um, a bit of context around it and why. Uh, so I'm sort of learning bits and pieces from them as well. So it's, it's quite useful, especially as I said, being in an environment for eight years and doing it that way to now having lots of different ways of doing it and lots of different suggestions and ideas. Again, I can sort of, I, I can benefit from that as well. So it's, again, it's a two way street. I'm trying to learn how to improve my delivery. Similarly, I'm getting the opportunity to engage with a very diverse range of people that I didn't have access to before. Has there been any game changes? Has there been anything that someone said or brought up and you thought that's unbelievable? There's a couple of really uh, bright students that have just left this this year, so they, they've just finished their third year. One is involved in the Danish under-21s, he's an analyst for them, um, and he's involved with the first team in terms of technical analysis for them. And then there's another lad who works for the Icelandic national team, and also Luxembourg as well. There's some students there that are very high profile that are very good, and sitting down with Thomas, the Danish analyst, and seeing how he analyzes games and what he does and the model that he's put together. Again, I'm not an analyst, but it's really insightful to sit down and see what, what he's looking for, because it might be very different to what I'm looking for and what I perceive to be a good metric for, for successful performance. So things like that, I, I, whether they're game changers or not, it just sort of opened my eyes to, to very different things that I perhaps would consider or haven't had access to experience of before. Have you got anything that, have you got any examples of that, of something that he, something he would look for that you'd be like, that would not be what I was looking at? I remember we went through, uh, so they were preparing for an under 21, I think it was qualifiers for the Euros, and he put up a shape system on the tactics board, and he was talking me through how their uh, the coach instructs them so some of the things that they do around that shape um, so things like pressing from the front how they would how they would do that what it looks like so I sort of said this is how I would do it and then he sort of showed me how their coach would do it he was a very uh, sort of senior coach very experienced and worked with first team and stuff and it was very different so it just sort of made me think about oh, that's interesting I haven't really thought of it from that perspective uh, not to say his was right or his was wrong again it's probably down to the context and what the opposition were doing but sort of maybe just think, oh, okay, well, that's, that's, that's an insight that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't had this conversation with, with Thomas and we've been talking around that stuff. I guess one of the positives that you're alluding to as well is that you don't just have coaches on your course, you have those different facets in terms of talent ID and all that type of stuff. Do you feel like obviously coaching or working in that in those subsections that maybe you might not have traditionally worked in has improved you holistically? Have you been able to learn more with the analysis side or the talent ID side um, that you hadn't done before? Possibly, yeah. I, coming from some of my experience before 
my current club was a cat three environment so a lot less staff uh, and I, I think probably being interdisciplinary was probably one of the strengths of being a smaller club is because there's less people involved less moving parts involved so and often you have to get involved in other departments because you haven't got the manpower so i would support snc or i would go across and do some analysis and stuff so i think I've, I've probably always been very conscious and mindful of being holistic or might be disciplined or had an interest in that i'm no specialist in any of those areas but i can at least understand and take some information from it um probably going into the university i think the bit that i've benefited from is the students that are really interested in those fields will will ask me questions um, and it tests my knowledge of that area so rather than just being i understand that area and now need to have more than just a basic understanding of it i need to now be because these these students are hopefully going into a career path towards whether it be talent id or analysis so when they ask me questions or make suggestions or challenge then i need to be able to know what i'm talking about um, so i think i probably it's made me have to go away and actually rather than just having a conversation with someone and showing that i, that I have an appreciation or understanding of what they're talking about i now go away and layers to that level of understanding which i think has been that's probably been the important thing i think the thomas who i referred to just a minute ago he's probably an exception rather than the rule so he's at a level that's probably beyond um, most students on the course a lot of them aspiring to be there but they're probably not educating me or, or showing me stuff that i've not seen before but what they are doing is is asking questions and keeping on the toes and i need to be able to keep up to date level of knowledge so that I can support them so that's been that's been a good thing for me and do you think that working as you said there a cat three academy and having that grounding where you had kind of a lot of different roles to play and lot of support was one of those positive experiences that we spoke about earlier where actually it gave you a grounding and everything whereas if you'd gone straight in at cat one and you'd only have a coach say for example you worked I don't know PD uh, if you worked in foundation phase and then you decided actually I want to go and work in the PDP phase so you went from cat one foundation phase to PDP phase cat three and all of a sudden you're having to do all these things you'd be like well I never had to do this before do you think that was something in your foundations that supported you kind of being able to go from I guess a holistic thing to more specialized now yeah I, I think so I think everyone's pathway is different but for me I think starting out uh, cat three was Wrestling, um, especially at the club I was at, we'd just come out of administration, so we were a centre of excellence at the time. Um, you know, you were, I, I was often the minibus driver, the, the, the physio on the day, the coach, you know, I was doing all that. Yeah, every, you, you, you just did everything because that was what, it, what life was like. Um, and obviously, as the club went up through the leagues and the level of success that they got, obviously, then we became an academy and started to work towards Cat 2, and it became a lot more professionalised with the EPPP. But having that experience of having to wear lots of different hats and spin a lot of different plates um, was, was really good for me because, like I say, I, I had no choice but to be interested in sports science and analysis because often it was me that was having to do a lot of this stuff or, or at least contribute to, to some of it. Whereas if now in a, a Category 1 club, it might be that you have 
people specifically for those roles that do those roles. So I, I don't necessarily have to go across and get involved or engage in it. But it's probably in my nature to want to understand it and, and get involved. So I think, yeah, I've probably learned a lot through those experiences and now being in an environment where I've afforded the opportunity to really specialise in, in an area of the pathway. Um, I think I'm better for it for having those experiences. Yeah. How was it for you from a personal thing that you've said there is you've kind of spent eight years with a club building them from relatively small, small people, small budget to then obviously a, a much bigger budget, much bigger operational time, all that type of stuff. How did you find that process of taking something, I guess, and having like your vision of where you wanted to help it go to then obviously getting it pretty far down that road? Yeah, I found that process really rewarding uh, to have essentially a blank piece of paper when we was a centre of excellence. The, the, the one thing that was sort of sacrosanct or that had to be was the philosophy. So there was a very clear playing philosophy of what that looked like. But in terms of methodology, curriculum, um, how we brought that philosophy to life and how we coached it and delivered it, was very much open to me as the phase lead. Um, as a centre of excellence, we never had a youth development phase lead, so I was the first one in, in that role. So I, I was inheriting a phase 12 to 16 that didn't really have any formalised plan or processes in place. So being able to come in and really put that together uh, and some of the, the progress we made in that period of time was, was really rewarding. And again, I'm sure early days I made mistakes and I put things in and changed things and Sort of my, my ideas probably changed over a period of time and I started to identify different ways of doing things. But again, having that opportunity to do that was really, really important. Again, probably it's helped me become a better coach by having that opportunity. If I came into a club, at, I think I was 27 when I first started working on the academy. So I was relatively late by club standards. I say probably a lot of young coaches, as you said earlier, are coming into the game now. Um, I think if I'd have come into a club with everything, all the processes, all the procedures, everything established and there, I probably wouldn't have learned or needed to have learned as quickly as I did when I was actually coming up with a lot of this stuff and putting it together. So yeah, it was, it was really rewarding process to see the club transition from just coming out of administration as a centre of excellence to a Premier League club with a with a, an academy. It was a really rewarding process here. And was there anything that you look back at now and go, what was I thinking? As in something that you did at the start where you go, why did I do that? Or that was a bad road to go down? Uh, it's another good question. Um, yeah, there's probably a few things I would have thought. There were some things like, so we introduced um, multi-sports and we introduced futsal. So a lot of the things that we needed to do was to try and be innovative, I guess. To, because you had Southampton, you had Portsmouth, who at the time when I joined were still Premier League or probably Championship, had, a, had an academy for a number of years. Um, so we couldn't go toe to toe and compete because there would only be able to be one winner. So we had to try and find ways of competing with a, with a restricted budget and with less resources. So things like futsal, because we had a school on the doorstep with an international size football, bringing in things like that I think were really important to the programme 
they really helped us. Things that I did that probably I look back on and think, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I think there's probably a few things I would say. I, th I had this process where uh, you had under the 12s, I think. So the first age group in my phase, they played in four positions. It was 25% over the course of the season that they played in those positions. And then at 13s, it was then three positions, 33% of the time, 14s was then um, three positions. One was 50, one was 25, one was 25. So basically it was, it was trying to taper them towards specialization at 16. Now on paper and thinking logically, it probably, that probably does make sense, four positions. However, what I didn't consider at the time was that in the 12s, it's probably their first taste of 11 or 11, so to ask the player to be quite strict with the numbers. So it might just be that they have four positions, but to say 25% over the course of the season might be a bit too um, process-driven, a bit too rigid. So I think just little bits and pieces like that. We also, I also put in a four, we found that a lot of the opponents that we played played in a very similar style of play to us. So to try and manufacture a way of getting a flavour of different styles, different ways of playing, we did this four-quarter approach. So in the first quarter, we might play normal, so like the philosophy of the club. Second period, we might drop off, so like a low block to counter. The third period might be a real high aggressive press. And then the fourth period might be whatever the game dictated. So over the course of the game, we had or maybe four different styles of playing. However, it was manufacturing it, so the game sometimes did demand a low block to counter. So we were almost just dropping into the low block and doing it for the sake of doing it because I wanted them to get a learning experience from it and get a flavour of the game. Because we didn't have lots of players that were coming through the academy and playing in the first team. The reality was that a lot of players were coming through the academy and playing in other clubs. So we wanted to give them a flavour of the global game, not just the way that we wanted to play it. And also an issue with that is if you're sub in period one, you might be coming onto the game as a striker, just sitting in as a low block and not really doing what you want to be doing and scoring goals and stuff. So again, things like that, I think the intention was good. Uh, probably the idea was was well sort of merited, and well intentioned, but I think probably the execution was maybe a bit too rigid and probably didn't cater for all the variables that we need to consider. I guess that's where now there's discussions around games programs and trying to have your thirty percent or whatever of the real tough ones are gonna be challenging, thirty that is a fifty fifty if you like, and thirty where you can really try and excel. And that would hopefully naturally create those situations where if you're playing against a top team, you might be in a low block for a bit and you're gonna to have to deal with it. Whereas when you're playing the teams that are maybe a you're a bit stronger than you can constantly go and press and you're not going to get found out as much but I guess it's just the execution of the the thoughts rather than the thoughts themselves yeah okay so last question from me um ask this to everyone and you can go for a player and a coach if you want which is um who's the best player you've worked with or against and why or played with or against and why and who's the best coach that you've worked with or against and why that's a good question. Um, there's two players that probably stand out in terms of playing against. 
So we played against when James Madison was at Coventry uh, in the FA Youth Cup. We played against him and he was exceptional. Just ran the game. I think he'd already played in the first year of Coventry. But yeah, he was he was probably one of the best players I've seen um, at that level. Harvey Elliott was at Fulham. I think he played, I think he was in under 17s at the time he was playing he was an under 16 playing in the youth team and again he just you know just stood out just an unbelievable talent uh, very creative Fulham producer players that were the for and dribble and he was playing up for two years in some cases and, and still stood out and shone and obviously got moved to Liverpool so I think those two standout examples that I've seen. We, we played a lot against Ethan Ampadu when he was at Exeter. So I probably saw him play from the age of around 11 or 12. Um, and again, an unbelievable talent. could play anywhere on the pitch. I think he played against us one time. I think he started off at centre-back, might have played right-back, played in midfield, and played on the top. He could just play anywhere. It was just that good and he was always playing up as well so very rarely was he in the age group always being stretched and still stood out one of the star players so there are three I can think of off the top of my head um, so did you ask players I've worked with? With or against those three or five if you want it as oh, right. coaches with or against as well oh, coaches um, I think um, coaches I've coached against would probably be, um, I think again, probably using a, a relatively recent example that stood out, was um, Scott Parker, who was coaching Tottenham's youth team, uh, if I remember rightly, uh, a couple of years back in, again, in the FA Youth Cup. So we identified a, a rotation that we were doing early in the game. So they had a certain rotation to try and free up the player or create an overload. And we came up with a solution to try and prevent that, negate that being an issue, because it was an issue early on in the game if, if we'd allowed it to carry on. So we addressed that and then uh, putting out fires there. So we put out a fire there and then all of a sudden they're doing a different rotation and finding a different way or a different solution to that. Um, so whether, you know, the, the players have clearly been well drilled and well well informed on what what they were doing. So I think the probably the time that he had put on the training ground to, to come up with those things was clearly uh, beneficial. I think he he when we played there at Fulham's under sixteens when he was there as a player, he they'd finished training and he came over and watched um, and he was still playing at the time so he clearly had a, an interest in going into coaching. Um, and it's, it's really nice to see him now in Premier League with, with Fulham, a young English manager getting an opportunity to coach. Because uh, he would be an example of someone who probably demonstrated on the day. He wasn't a shout on the raver, he wasn't ranting, he wasn't telling him what to do, but they were coming up with solutions. And, uh, I think if, if that's the measure of a good coach, that's, that'd be a nice way to, to be measured, I think. Perfect. Listen, Graham, I really appreciate your time and um, obviously, well, hopefully I'll see you soon um, and I'll catch up again at some point. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.